We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna. Well, Jonathan, I, you know, I thought he had a good preseason. There's, there's a lot to like about what he did. You know, that said, we're, we're doing what's right for this football team. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got a lot of confidence in, in, the, in the running backs behind LaShawn and Mike Tolbert and, and Joe Banyard, Taiwan Jones. feel good about those guys. There's also an element of special teams baked into, into this here with, with those players. So um, there's three phases to the football team, as you've heard me say before. And, uh, and ha- having a balance in all three phases is, is important for us. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Rock Bell Report Podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That is Chris Krueger, my producer, and that was Sean McDermott from Monday's press conference at buffalobills.com. Woo! We're here. Who else is excited to be here, folks? Sunday. Woo! We made it. Week one, the preseason is over. Not only did we make it, you made it happen on Saturday. (laughs) Folks, before we start our show this week, I have to give a massive shout out to what I believe to be one of the most special women on the face of the earth, my girlfriend and now fiance, Miss Larissa Filipski. That's right, folks. I took the plunge. We're doing this thing. (laughs) You obviously didn't learn anything from me (laughs) oh i did oh i did chris i learned plenty from you not to marry whores (laughs) not to (laughs) not to marry loose women um not to uh i don't know there's a lot of things i think i would have done differently like not mixing maker's mark with my coke i feel like that might have helped maker's mark is to be drinking straight i can't believe she lets you lay on her i just can't believe that she was Kind enough to marry me after all the shenanigans, all the nonsense, all the things that I put her through on a week basis. Well, you're not basis. there yet. She watches football with me, folks. That's all I can say. She sits through football games with me, which in and of itself should be cause for some kind of an award. I mean, she should be, she should get something for that. But ultimately, folks, my weekend was kind of consumed by that. So I apologize if this show seems a little, I don't know. It doesn't seem like I've done my normal amount of prep, but 
Larissa Filipski, I proposed to my girlfriend over the over the weekend. She said yes with no hesitation. I love you. You're the reason that I'm able to be here doing the things that I do. She let me come do this on Valentine's Day, folks. That's how much she cares about me and is in tune with the things that I care about. To me, that's love. That's all I can say. I don't believe it. <laughs> and with that, we will jump right into this week's Buffalo Bills News Update. The 53-man roster is set. It's official. It's in stone. Well, I guess I shouldn't say that because who knows? Someone else could come and go. It's a fluid thing these days. Now, before we get into this, I want to say that this week I'm trying a new beer. It's Southern Tier Brewing Company, who I'm very partial to. Their Harvest Special Ale. Now, I can say that according to Chris, Chris says I've had a variation of it when we were doing the tour of the Southern Tier plant. This is my first time ever drinking it because it always looked like pumpkin beer, which to me is just gross. Like, I always assumed that any kind of harvest beer, anything that comes out around fall time and involves the color orange, has to have pumpkin in it. I gave Reed and Cassie pumpkin, and they loved it. And they also couldn't believe it was 14 bucks for a four-pack. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's it's gross pumpkin beer. And they advertise real pumpkin. Oh, it's delicious. This Harvest Ale isn't bad. You know what? I actually like this, and I can taste a little bit of hoppiness in it. It's a good 6.7% alcohol. Woo! We're going to have a lot of fun tonight. So, as I was saying, the 53-man roster. Now, when I look it over and when I see a lot of the moves that were made, you know, over the weekend I was kind of watching, you know, Saturday night I proposed to my girlfriend, Sunday I had fantasy drafts, but I was keeping an eye on what was going on with the Buffalo Bills. And I got to say, my reactions to some of this, I mean, I'm not going to break down every single position because I'm not going to bore you with that. What I'll give you is the good, the bad, and the strange as far as my takeaways on the moves that were made. Now, first and foremost, I want to start off on a high note. There were some things that looking at the 53-man roster, I personally feel pretty confident about. Or at least that when I look at them, I'm, I'm happy about how they panned out compared to the alternatives. First and foremost, a lot of youth with upside made the roster this year. Now, there's been a lot said about the changes that have taken place between last year's roster and this year's. One of the things that I'm the happiest about is that there's something of a youth movement taking place. I mean, the team's average age is 26 years old. Now, you figure that average is probably weighed down by the fact that you've got a Kyle Williams who's 35. You've got... Offensive linemen who are now all in their are now in their thirties. Incognito. This is a relatively young roster. Now, one of the things I'll point to that we talked to over the course of the last year: no team that doesn't have a franchise quarterback and that hasn't made the playoffs in almost two decades shouldn't be in cap trouble. I mean, no team in that situation should be in cap trouble. That's just a simple truth. Yet. The Buffalo Bills under Doug Whaley led the NFL nearly every year of his tenure in percentage of active players not drafted and instead brought in via free agency. I mean, that in and of itself is the reason that we've had to play free agency so cheap for the last few years, which isn't the way a team that is painfully average should have to operate. It's not. I, given the direction our roster has turned over in the last few months, feels to me like Brandon Bean gets that, or at least he has a sense of that's how you end up with the cap trouble that we're currently in. And you think about it, we probably could have if we hadn't mismanaged our cap for the last four years. 
we could have probably retained Stefan Gilmore. I mean, I know we all talk about how, you know, he wasn't the greatest cornerback. And do I think he was worth $40 million? No. I still, to this day, wouldn't have paid him. It's a passing league, and after five yards, it's NBA rules. You're not allowed to touch anyone. Mm-hmm. So, corners are going to give up a touchdown. No need to, like, call the guy uh, uh, that his career's over because he gave up one touchdown. Mm-hmm. I'm sure every cornerback in the league has given up a passing touchdown. So, it just it's one of those things. You look at why the roster is had to be built the way it was built. Well, Brandon Bean inherited this roster full of a lot of – there was dead cap involved. There was just a lot of poor contracts on the books. Things of that nature that he found a way to just do away with. What did Yards Per Pass say on Twitter? Brandon Bean's like the new girlfriend that comes in and then just takes all of your <laughs> – Takes all your ex-girlfriends, everything your ex-girlfriend ever gave you and throws it away. Yeah, that, that, that was an awesome tweet. Now, you take a look at – there's three things here. I just think uh, – Three things really stick out to me. First and foremost, free safety Trey Elston. That's a guy I've been high on all preseason. I'm really pumped to see him make the team over options like Bakari Rambo. You're talking about a guy who is going to, would be making at least a million dollars, if not more. Meanwhile, now we have Trey Elston on the roster, and he's much cheaper than that. But we already knew what Bakari Rambo's ceiling was. We've already seen it. He's not the... He's not a three-down safety. He's only good against Aaron Rodgers. He's only good against when you can put him in the box and when he can play a lot of special teams. Elston, as a flyer, at least has maybe a shot at having higher upside than that. So I'm glad he's still around. Also, the dual linebackers of Matt Milano and Tanner Vallejo. When we talked on last week's show, I was convinced that Gerald Hodges was going to make the team just by virtue of his 2016 performance against the run. He was the 12th best run-stopping defender in the NFL. Well, let's, not, let's remind everyone that you did not like Milano or Vallejo in the draft no, process. I didn't. But it seems like rather than take a flyer on the possibility of a one-and-done linebacker the way Doug Whaley did with Zach Brown, our front office wants to see these two young players develop. Now, time will tell if that's a mistake, but the fact that Hodges couldn't beat out Ramon Humber for a starting job at weakside linebacker shows that they didn't trust his coverage skills. And at that point, they would prefer to take the special team's ability and the upside of Matt Milano and Tanner Vallejo over a guy like Gerald Hodges. That's big. And then 22 players on this roster with three years of experience or less. Like I said, I like it because in a season that you don't expect to win a Super Bowl and instead want to see what you have in the cupboard going forward, it's good to know that just under half your roster is young enough to still be a restricted free agent at the end of the year if they're in the last year of a deal. So therefore, they are somewhat cost-controlled in the event that they do stand out this season. That's smart roster building. It is. I mean, imagine, think, think back, Chris, to where we were a couple months ago sitting at this table when we talked about how few bills were still under contract because we had gone out and gotten so many one- and two-year deals for free agent players. Yeah, but I think that the Doug Willie thought we were this player close, this player close. Mm-hmm. And then we get Rex Ryan in, changes the whole defensive structure, and we regress defensively into still being mediocre. Yeah, 
And and you're right. And so who knows? Maybe if what didn't happen, you know, maybe if things happened differently, then maybe we're having a very different conversation right now. But unfortunately, this is where we're sitting, and I like that. I like that decision to get younger. And then, what defensive end, <laughs> defensive end depth issue? What are you talking about? Early on in the offseason, I expressed very real concern over the lack of our depth at 4-3 defensive end. You know, we had to hemorrhage a ton of the 3-4 talent that we brought in via free agency in order to transition to this new scheme. And a lot of the guys, even, you know, I think he made it to the last cuts, but Max Vallis, our defensive end, who was formerly an outside linebacker, he wasn't a true fit for the scheme. So I looked at this and said, okay, we've got a bunch of guys I have never heard of. One one depth defensive end in Ryan Davis, who signed as a free agent, he's going to cost you a little bit. And then you've got a uh, first-round draft pick who's essentially something of a rookie. You know, he missed most of his first year and was playing a position he didn't fit. Now he's in his first year in the scheme he's supposed to be in. I, I still look at him like a rookie. And then you've got Jerry Hughes, who's a veteran at defensive end in a 4-3 scheme. We got really lucky this offseason. I mean, that depth talent truly shined. Eddie Yarbrough, he ascended up the depth chart like, like a meteor. And his preseason performance when playing against starters proves the fact that he he gives us a real kind of a diamond-in-the-rough type player and a true four-man rotation at defensive end. I like that. Then you figure, you factor that in with the presence of Lorenzo Alexander. I mean, he's going to come in as a situational pass rusher. I think we can all kind of breathe a sigh of relief as far as the, the state of our pass rush coming into the season. I think Alexander's also playing behind... Preston Brown. They too. said he's gonna he's gonna play a kind of a hybrid of uh, strong side linebacker or backup middle linebacker, depending on the down and distance, the package that they're rolling out there. I think they're gonna use Lorenzo Alexander in a lot of interesting ways. I really do. I expect him to supplement the pass rush when it's called for. I expect to see him out there sometimes in big packages when they need larger linebackers to come in and try to lay the wood. And then I also think that you look at the practice squad. The fact that we were able to get Marquavius Lewis, the guy, he needs to refine his technique. I'll give him that. But he also showed off some really explosive plays in the preseason. And it's because you can't teach the type of size and power that he has. I mean, the guy's six foot three, 275 pounds, but he's not a fat 270 pounds. He's a big man. He looked, he looked huge out there playing defensive end. And you could see that there were some plays early on in the preseason where he was just walking tackles back into the backfield. The fact that we were able to score him as kind of a player to be groomed for the future and maybe kind of work in, maybe eventually someday replace a guy like Orion Davis on a cheaper contract. These are all just good things. And I feel like I'm very much, I'm, I'm so much happier now than I was before about the depth on our defensive line. That inevitably brings me to the bad. Is it the beer? <laughs> no, this beer is actually really good. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that everything is rosy when I look at the Bills roster, especially heading into Sunday's game. There are some things that I am clearly not thrilled about. And the first and foremost is the offensive line. I want to start off by asking everyone out there listening a question. What the fuck is Vlad Dukas still doing here? Simple. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Bean cuts him. Then he knows the Jets pick him up, and then they suck even more than they already do. <laughs> so Bean wanted us to suck more than the Jets, 
and he thought that keeping Vlad Dukas would help that. <sighs> oh, you're grinding. Oh, Chris, I can't wait. I got a, I got something for you. Vlad Dukas, his presence on the roster just doesn't make any sense to me. It did the front office his watch his presence any, on earth doesn't make sense to me. Did did the front office watch any of his play this preseason? Because him being here means it, or at least it says to me that they weren't paying attention to he anything was a he was doing style. on the field. It was terrible. I would rather see Ryan Groy starting with journeyman Ryan Jordan Mudge who's currently on the practice squad, backing him up, than us keeping that bum around. Then you look at the right tackle position. Deion Dawkins is listed as the backup to Jordan Mills at right tackle. Again, something I don't understand. The left side of our offensive line consists of a group of seasoned professionals who have all proven that they can play at a Pro Bowl level. So I'm not concerned about them. But I look at the right side of our line and I say, okay, here's Miller, a guy who barely beat out Vlad Dukas, who I think should be jettisoned across the parking lot of One Bill's Drive. Like like one of those clowns at the circus being fired out of a cannon. Yeah, except with no net at the other end. Jesus Christ. You know you're going to have to remember this in two years when I <laughs> when I steal this clip and we play our, our, yeah. our June uh or June uh, who game show. About? Who were you talking about? I will tell you this. I look at that position over there on the right on the right side of the line, and I say, okay, Mills barely beat out this bum for his job. Then, I mean, excuse me, Miller at, at guard. Then you've got Jordan Mills at right tackle. We've got a rookie in Deion Dawkins. Now, I get it. Maybe they like the fact that maybe they like the fact that Mills has experience in the NFL. That the moment won't be too big for him come game day. But I still don't understand how if you drafted this kid in the second round, I get it. If you really don't think he's ready, don't put him out there. But also understand that the guy that you are putting out there, you've he's he's peaked. We've seen his ceiling, and his ceiling is not good enough to play in the NFL. Just like the uh what you said earlier about Bakari Rambo. Yeah. We already know his ceiling. So I just I, I don't understand because it's two positions on the offensive line or or at least just it's just two things that I don't understand. The guys who are here on the offensive line aren't as good as the guys behind them, and I just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Then I go ahead and I look at the running back depth chart. There doesn't appear to be a whole lot of playmaking ability at the running back position behind LaShawn McCoy. Now, it's I'm not as concerned about it as I am about the offensive line depth chart. But I can't sit here and act like it doesn't bother me. Now, you heard in the intro, McDermott's trying to explain why they cut Jonathan Williams. And he stated that special teams versatility was a big part of it. I, I'm, I'm trying to understand it, and I, th- I think I'm, I'm sort of there, but not all the way. I mean, you've got Joe Banyard and Mike Tolbert, who as running backs did flash throughout the preseason. Taiwan Jones, on the other hand, was completely unimpressive, and his play of the year will go down as the fourth down pass that he very well could have caught. There was no defender near him. Could have caught for an easy first down for Nathan Peterman on a fourth down, you know, must-win touchdown drive. Or he could have taken it to the house for a touchdown himself, and he just dropped the ball. I don't want to have to trust that guy with anything. He's not allowed to hold my beer at the tailgate party much less go out there and play running back for me. I understand the the desire for versatility and the ability to have multiple guys playing multiple roles. 
But I, <laughs> I don't know. I just think that they need to keep an eye on the waiver wire and the free agent market to try to address the fact that Taiwan Jones is still on this roster because you can't tell me that you can't do better than that guy. Well, I think running backs like a dime a dozen. So you can get them anywhere. Can you? I think you can. <laughs> All you need is a good offensive line. Well, this year's team is trying to put that to the test. And then the overhauled secondary. Now, I kind of hesitated when I thought about putting this under bad, quote-unquote, things. Because, honestly, I don't know how it's going to turn out. Nobody does. But the fact remains, Colt Anderson is the only member of our secondary right now that has ever taken a defensive snap while wearing a Bills uniform. When you, One of the things that I've been preaching all season is the fact that there's a very different mentality that goes into playing the type of defense the Bills will be playing this summer, this year versus last year. When you line up man-to-man and try to play that Rex Ryan kind of isolation on the corner side of defense, you, you end up in a place where one individual failing can, you know, it comes down to individual performances across the board, I guess is what I'm, tr- I'm looking at. I'm looking at you're going to ask your corners to play a ton of man coverage, and if any one of them isn't up to the task, he becomes a huge liability for you. And I think with what we try, what we did to the secondary this offseason, you could be asking for a ton of trouble if that was your plan. When you look at what a per, in, in its essence and what a perfect cover three defense that you know zone scheme defense is, you're talking about a Spartan phalanx. You know, you think about everyone's seen the movie 300. I'm sure a lot of you out there, if there's any history buffs, you understand what it was. It was that you weren't so much defending yourself, you were defending the guy next to you. And he's defending you, and in turn, you guys kind of form this unit that is very hard to penetrate. Well, a very well-executed zone defense is kind of the same thing. The sum is, you know, the whole is, you know, the sum is greater than its individual parts. I think that's what McDermott is shooting for here. I mean, you look at, yes, EJ Gaines is the only one right now in our secondary with significant starting experience. I mean, that doesn't exactly leave me feeling all warm and fuzzy inside. But during the preseason, the starters and defense didn't show many of the communication issues that I saw plague some of these other teams. I mean, I watched the Miami Dolphins-Eagles uh, games because I wanted to see how Darby did as a starter. Torched. Darby got destroyed. And then on the flip side of the ball, the Dolphins. Rashad Jones is one of the best safeties in the division. And Byron Maxwell is their number one cornerback. They got torched on three different occasions during that game, specifically because they didn't communicate together. And it just left it just left wide receivers running wide open. Well, wouldn't you think with McDermott here over Rex that defensive communication is a lot better? Well, than- and that's my point. What I've seen, I haven't seen any of that from the Buffalo Bills. They're having with our starting defense on the field, there haven't been those breakdowns in communication. Okay, well, so- what are we showing defensively in the preseason? Well, exactly. A whole, a whole bunch of nothing. No, but that's my we point. Won't, Even with nothing, we still didn't give up the big plays. We won't know until Sunday when you're uh, probably wasted in the stands. I don't know. Maybe we should we should do like an over-under of how many times you're going to fall down your section. Absolutely none. Absolutely none. I'll have the luchador <laughs> mask on, and I'm listen, I'm, I'm a professional. I've been doing this for years, Chris. So... Ultimately, when I look at the overhauled secondary, what I think to myself is, yes, I'm not happy about the way it's going, but from what they've shown me, these pieces individually seem to work pretty well together. 
this week isn't going to be a huge test, but going forward throughout the course of the season, we play a lot of good quarterbacks. And it's going to it's going to be up to the coaching staff to get these guys coached up, communicating well and everyone filling their gap in order to make this defense what it could be, you know, to help it reach its full potential. I mean, only time will tell, but I just think that anytime you take a position and jettison every player from the previous year, it is something of a cause for concern. Right? I mean, I think that's fair, Chris. Yeah. I think we only have like 22 players that we drafted mm-hmm. still on the team. Mm-hmm. I told Reed the other day, I was like, I th- honestly think next year you and Colton will be the only players from the Rex era <laughs> on the team. And then we get to the things that I think are just absolutely strange. Things I'm, I'm having a little bit of a hard time wrapping my head around. I look at the way our roster is constructed, and as of today, we're looking at five wide receivers and four tight ends. A, a lot of fans, including myself, were disappointed to see that when the season ended, after what amounted to standout preseason performances, Undrafted free agent wide receivers Brandon Riley and Dakeel Shorts weren't given a roster spot. I mean, I would have assumed maybe not Shorts, but I thought at least Riley had done enough to prove that he belonged on this roster and given some chances of playing time. <laughs> and you take a look at what's been going on at that position specifically this entire offseason. I understand the decision to send him to the practice squad because it seemed like there was more proven depth in front of him on you know you know Saturday when they had to announce all the cuts. I said, okay, there's more season depth on the roster in front of him. We still don't know what's going on with Streeter. Philly Brown is here. Philly Brown's played in the Super Bowl for the Patri- for the Panthers. Maybe that's what their their mindset is. And then I woke up on Monday. <laughs> I looked at the roster and I realized that we cut everyone who would have made the roster ahead of Riley in my mind. But for some reason, are carrying a fourth tight end that I've never heard of. Let me ask you this. You just ragged on our O-line. Do we keep four tight ends because maybe two of them are somewhat decent at blocking and you use them to chip? Well, and see, look at you. Look at you showing a little bit more football knowledge. Chris, I'm drunk. we're going we're gonna to make a man out of you yet. Here are, to me, the, here that are the sounds like things. I'm right. I think that. It means one of it, at least a few things, at least one of a few things, the fact that they've constructed our you know tight end to wide receiver ratio that way. First and foremost, Charles Clay is going to absolutely be asked to step up as a focal point in the passing attack in this new scheme. He's going to have to. He's one of the most talented players on offense. I'd put him, I mean, I think if you were to rank the talent on the offensive side of the ball for the Bills right now, it goes LaShawn McCoy. Okay. A player, everyone else, D. Jordan Matthews, I'd see him as a B. I think Jordan Matthews in the NFL has proven that he is at least a B talent. You better be ready to go on (laughs) Sunday. I think that then you start looking around the offense and you say, okay, who else can contribute? I think that Charles Clay is our B minus to C. He's sure. probably the third most talented receiving or straight-up offensive option on the offensive side of the ball. Is that behind Jordan Matthews and whoever our wide receivers coach is? <laughs> I also think that they must truly believe that, much like you hear Jason, uh, Jason Botterill, GM for the Buffalo Sabres, he says it all the time. 
While Dekeel Shorts and Brandon Riley acquitted themselves well, their long-term development into reliable options might just require some additional coaching and refinement. It may be a set of circumstances where they look at Riley and say, okay, you stood out during the preseason for us. That's great. But to get to where we think your ceiling is, we'd rather have you practicing and practicing every day and being in, around the field house and instead, you know, watching the game on Sundays, taking tips from pros, than just throwing you out there to where you may be over your head. I mean, wide receiver is definitely a confidence position. It is. It's like playing goaltender in the NHL. It's the reason you don't draft a goalie in the first round of hockey and then throw him out there as a rookie to face NHL forwards. On, to the same credit, an undrafted free agent wide receiver may not be ready to be thrown to the Wolves week one. So I, I have to assume that that's a part of the mindset. And then finally, to Chris's point, Rick Dennison has to be planning on utilizing a number of twin tight end sets, both in the run and the passing game. When you think back to the difficulty our offensive tackles have had, especially the right side of the line, in protecting its quarterback, and the fact that most teams line up their premier pass rushes on the right-hand side of the line, I could see a universe in which Charles Clay and Nick O'Leary are on the field an awful lot together, and we're going to need multiple tight ends to rotate in and out and play special teams over the course of a football game. I think it's going to be interesting to see how this changes in a few weeks because Walt Powell is going to return eventually from his suspension. And Riley's going to get a few weeks to work with the uh, team during practices over the course of the week. So I, I could see this being, again, another fluid position that may change within the next couple of weeks. But ultimately, Chris, to your point, two tight ends have to be in, have to be in vogue. They have to be. I can't see a world in which they leave, you know, week three against the Broncos. They're not going to leave Jordan Mills on an island with Von Miller. I just can't see that as as someone who doesn't coach football, just watches it and drinks a lot of beer. I know that that's a bad idea. Plus, if if, if you're going to throw out uh, an offensive line combination and Vlad Dukas is a part of it, you better have a tight end to help block. Oh, absolutely. I, if you could do that, can you do that? Line up Wood, Dukas, a tight end, Cordy Glenn? Well, no. What you, what you would want to do is, if anything, you would want to go with a jumbo package where instead of a, instead of a tight end, you'd put Ryan Groy out there on the end. Who's going to block Who's going to block that end better if we know we need to take a deep shot and we go three wide? We put Jordan Matthews in the slot, split off the line. We put Zay Jones in the far left-hand side and Andre Holmes in the far right. You already lost me. Okay. <laughs> Follow me here. You go shotgun. You know you need to protect your quarterback. Instead of a tight end, you put a tight end out there on the off-left tackle to be a receiving option. Then, you instead of another tight end, you put a guard in Ryan Groy out there to help your left tackle manhandle this ridiculous pass rusher that's about to just jump down his throat. You're speaking Chinese. <laughs> someday, I don't know what that meant. Someday, Chris, you'll look back on this and realize that I know what I'm talking about. But I just think that there's there's options to be had, but that twin tight end sets are definitely going to be one of them. And then the other thing I thought was strange and also just super interesting. The Bills have made a lot of moves that have made the natives here restless in Buffalo. From the Watkins trade the release of Jonathan Williams, the trade of Reggie Ragland. I know that hurt me personally, but Darby. at the same time, I understood that I understood it. Now, if you look at some of these moves and try to get past the fact that it appears that we are simply quitting on this season to load up on picks, 
what I see is interesting because there are a couple of them where the focal point of the trade, yes, was a draft pick. But let's look at what we got. Sammy Watkins, we got a second-round draft pick. We also landed our starting cornerback in EJ Gaines. Ron Darby, we got a third-round pick for 2018. We also received our starting slot-wide receiver in Jordan Matthews. And then we traded away most recently Kevon Seymour, seventh-round draft pick. But we also received a speed-wide receiver that our receiving core was desperately needing and a kick return specialist in wide receiver Kalen Clay. A lot of what has driven this claim that the Buffalo Bills are tanking revolves around all of the draft capital that we've taken in for 2018, while jettisoning players that this front office has no affiliation with or loyalty to. I think that the biggest of these trades also, as you could see, brought back players who are going to play prominent roles for us in 2018. It's one of the biggest reasons I don't buy this claim of a full-blown tank job in progress over at One Bills Drive. If you wanted to go out and acquire draft capital for next year's year and just essentially punt the current season, wouldn't you be better served asking for better draft picks than asking for players in return? Mm, I don't know about that. I mean... I do like the draft picks that we've gotten in the trades, but I don't like. I don't see eight and eight out of this team that we've been in the last couple of years. But I also don't see ten plus wins. I, I still think we're going to finish at the bottom of the barrel. Bottom of the barrel. So what is your? So what is bottom of the barrel to you, Chris? Because you've made five, a lot of comments the last couple of weeks. Five and eleven or worse. You seem to enjoy this idea that we are tanking, or yes. at least you seem to subscribe to it. Yes, because I, I anybody that knows that I, I follow the Sabers more than I do the Bills, and that's what the Sabers have done. And yet, they're still young. I've last year the Sabers only had I think three people for a majority of their games that were over twenty-seven years old. They're still young. And they, they acquired all this draft capital. They spent it. We got Eichel. We used some of it to trade for people like O'Reilly and Kane. And we're building something here. And I think that's what Bean's doing. Give me all the draft capital because I know this is a quarterback league. And I know that next year, 2018, you got Rosen, Darnold, Allen coming out. So give me a quarterback. I'm all, I'm all for tanking. I can't, I can't follow you, Chris. I can't follow you down that road. Let me, let me take a minute. Now, this is what all week I've been talking. I've been putting it out there on social media. I have something that I want to say to Bills fans everywhere. I mean, the focal point of my message tonight revolves around a couple things. First off, the number 17 and the phrase circle the wagons. The number 17 means a lot of things to a lot of different groups of people. I'll tell you what it means to me. What does it mean to you, Chris? It means my age. 17 years old. I'm at Star Time watching Meet the Parents with Ashley Anderson. And she kissed me. And that was my first kiss. <laughs> 17 years old. Watching Meet the Parents. In the Italian culture, the number 17 is reportedly seen as unlucky. 17 is also the atomic number of chlorine. It's also the number of syllables in a haiku. 
And to fans of the Buffalo Bills, the number 17 has become this specter, this, this bully, this thing that hangs, this cloud that hangs over our heads. It has been 17 years since the Buffalo Bills have seen a playoff game, which makes it the longest active drought of its kind in North American sports. It's become a point of embarrassment among the fan base, people, people who live here who don't even follow sports. And it's turned the franchise from one viewed as a model to, to basically the butt of a gigantic joke. The term Billsy has been coined during the last 17 years. And it's used to describe any incident that anyone could call comically terrible, inept, or just fluky. And we as fans have seen a lot of them. 17 years has instilled this kind of desperation in a lot of people. You talk about the fans who call into radio shows, media pundits, and even just the average fan. I really do think that as followers of this football team, it's kind of beaten people down over the years. Every year it gets a little bit heavier and that cloud gets a little bit darker. This season, the Bills rolled out a new staff tore their front office down to the studs and rebuilt it in the process. And while a lot of people applauded the moves and you know called them a breath of fresh air and embraced what they represented at the onset, what I'm seeing now seems like lunacy. You've got people arguing and just being ugly towards each other when you talk about Facebook and Twitter. People calling radio stations asking for the return of guys like Mike Gandy. Do nothing, the epitome of mediocre players. They're, they're calling for them to return. You've got guys who are emphasizing that we need to trade LaShawn McCoy and that, oh, Brandon Bean doesn't know what he's doing. The guy just got here. He literally just got here and started putting his fingerprints on the team. And yet, we haven't played a single snap of real meaningful football. And all of this stuff is going on around our fan base. I have actively avoided social media fan groups, Reddit, and even our local radio stations wherever possible for the last few weeks now. It just seems like there's this huge portion of our fan base that can't wait to throw itself off a ledge. It's like the last 17 years have pushed some people to the brink as far as their fandom goes. Which makes me wonder what the hell happened to us. I thought we were tougher than that. ESPN's Chris Berman once said, nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. It's it's been decades now, and it's become one of our most famous catchphrases. And yet people say it, but I feel like most of the fan base that acts this way has forgotten what it means. You figure you look back to the old days. (laughs) The old the old Oregon Trail days, Chris. The rock pile days back when back when people used to (laughs) back when people back when you used to get dysentery and die like it was the Oregon Trail. Settlers would travel across the inhospitable West towards, I don't know, what they assumed had to be a better life, fame, fortune. And along the way, things would get rough. And whether it was bandits, whether it was, you know, angry natives, whether it was just Mother Nature. When things went wrong and things can't, you know, it could be life and death. So they'd get together, they'd circle the wagon train, and they'd draw everybody inside and every man, woman, and child together. Pull close, protect each other. Because they knew that that was their best chance for survival. 
that is the essence of what the Bills were in the 80s and 90s. They were just a group of guys, once coined as the bickering Bills. And they learned that instead of fighting against one another, they could fight for each other and accomplish something that no other NFL team has ever done. They went from mediocre to making four straight Super Bowls. And I understand. We, you, know, you, you look at, okay, they had a quarterback. They had a running back. They had a defensive end. They had this. I've watched plenty of NFL teams that had that much talent and couldn't accomplish what they accomplished. To do that takes character. It takes heart. And it takes a degree of passion for the game and the guy next to you. That is hard to find. And it's even harder to create on a roster that's just full of players who have become comfortable with losing. When you look at what the Buffalo Bills have been for the last, Chris, how many years? How long has it been since the Buffalo Bills were a consistently competitive team? Mid-90s. Okay. So you want to talk to me about how, well, your fans are freaking out because we tore this team down to the studs and are trying to rebuild it in the way that this group, this new front office feels like it should be. They're looking to do what everyone before them couldn't do. They're trying to change the culture. Now, Rex Ryan talked about he wants to build a bully. He couldn't pull it off. Too many holdovers, too many free agents with no real loyalty or affiliation. This team's getting young and wants to bring everyone together. Young. Let them grow together. Let them learn to fight for each other. You, you talk to some of the players. You know, We've talked to Reed Ferguson, and he says that one of the things that the players had to do this offseason that he's never seen before, and he definitely didn't see under Rex Ryan, was that they had to open up to each other. They had, in team meetings, talk about things that, you know, t- tell, tell their teammates things about themselves that they didn't normally wouldn't tell people. Their life story, to an extent. Yeah. And you know what? You talk to Reed, and he'll tell you that there's bonds. You know, you start to talk to guys that you wouldn't normally talk to. You gain a certain level of respect for guys that you wouldn't normally have because you didn't know them like that. It makes the team closer. I believe we played it on an earlier episode when Incognito was on uh, NFL Network, uh, NFL Total Access, I believe. He had said that he's learned more about his teammates this offseason than he did in the entirety of the Rex Ryan era. This is what I'm getting at, Chris. This front office is looking to recreate that magic. And if scrapping half the roster, I don't care what the cost is, and doing what they feel is necessary to install that sort of mindset, Mindset. That I, who am I to second-guess them? Who am I, Chris, as a, as a fan, a long-suffering fan, who am I to guess second-guess the way they're going to do it? Considering I've seen, the, you know, we watched the Donahoe era. We watched the Marv Levy era as GM. We've watched head coaches come and go. Some of them are outspoken. You know, you've got your Greg, for every Greg Williams and Rex Ryan, you've got a Dick Duran and a Mike Malarkey. We've seen every type of head coach. We've seen every type of GM. No one is doing it the way our current staff is doing it. And then, I guess I just want to talk about fandom for a second. To me, being a Bills fan, it's, it's more about the wins and the losses. It's about community. It's about my friends. It's about my family. It's the reason that at the end of a losing season, I can tell myself at 10 a.m. that I don't care about the New Year's Day game. And at 1.30 in the afternoon, I'm foaming at the mouth when we score a touchdown. To me personally, no matter how dark things get, 
still being able to declare to the entire world that I'm a Bills fan, it's like the red badge of courage. And I'm going to wear it proudly. I just want to know if I can get some of you. I know I'm never going to talk you all off the ledge, but I'd like some of you who hear this to try and agree with me on two things right now. One, the number 17 is just a number. Okay, so is 18, and so is 19. So is 100. The Cubs... And so is your first marriage. <laughs> the, the Chicago Cubs went 100 years without winning a pennant. Okay? All of I these things are just that. numbers. It's time. And a lot like draft capital, it's irrelevant once it's spent. You know, I've been harping on this for weeks. So instead of dreading it, instead of, you know, just instead of throwing it away before it even happens, let's embrace it. This season represents an opportunity for growth. You have to embrace those types of opportunities. We are going to get to see a new front office do things differently than anybody else before them. I can't tell you that it's going to work, but at least embrace the idea. And then most importantly, let's get together, guys. Let's come together as a community and stop this bickering. Stop this I'm off the bandwagon or the bills are tanking just bullshit because that's what it's going to take to see this process through. Chris jokes around all the time, the quote unquote, trust the process. If you are actually going to be here to, you know, to see the process through to its end, win or lose, it's not, it's not for the faint of art. You're going to have to just dig deep and find a way because the drought will eventually end. Whether it's this year, whether it's next year, whether it's five years from now. I can't forget all of the reasons that I'm a fan of this football team simply because things don't look like they're going to go my way. And hopefully some of you out there are going to join me in that and pull together with me. Because nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. And with that, we are going to get into our week one preview of the Buffalo Bills versus the New York Jets. First and foremost, from the top, the location, New Era Field at 1 p.m. The weather, looks like it's going to be about in the mid-60s to low-70s, light breeze, 10% chance of precipitation. Not a whole lot of clouds, so it should be a beautiful day for the home opener. Our official is some guy named John Hussey, and the spread has crept up to the Bills minus 9. That's right, the Bills minus 9. Now, I'm looking over the injury report, and I'll be honest, I can't find anything. And I don't know if, maybe I'm crazy, but I always assumed that NFL teams had until Wednesday of the week before the game to at least put out a preliminary injury report. So the fact that I'm not finding anything is kind of frustrating. But here's what I do know. Players that are likely out for this week's game. Tanner Vallejo, linebacker. That's the first one. In the preseason, he had a shoulder injury. And now he had a knee injury that required some minor surgery. There really isn't a timetable for his return. He's listed as week-to-week, so my assumption is he's not going to be playing this weekend. Then, Jarrell Worthy, defensive tackle. In the Bills' third preseason game, Worthy was visibly knocked unconscious by a hit from a fellow teammate while bringing down a ball carrier. And since then, he hasn't seen the practice field or been cleared for activity. So, he's clearly not going to be in the lineup Sunday. I mean, I think that's part of the reason we went out and signed Cedric Thornton and kind of kicked the tires on Naida Rubin earlier this week. But going into this Sunday, it looks like it's going to be up to Adolphus Washington and newly signed Cedric Thornton to hold down the defensive tackle position when it comes to rotating in and out. 
And then as far as questionable, Tyrod Taylor, word on the street is that he has been cleared and that he has been named by Sean McDermott as the starter. We were going to pull the audio for that, but there's no point in playing it. The guy is a square. He, he, he is the opposite of Rex Ryan in most ways, including the way he speaks in public, which is cool if you're a guy who doesn't like to be made look bad or you don't like having a football team that looks foolish. It's not good when you like you know, having something to talk about or having, you know, find a hearing press conferences with some nugget of information in them. But Taylor's the starter week one. Jordan Matthews, he's still listed as questionable. You know, he's hasn't been cleared for contact yet. So it's a situation that we're going to have to watch leading up into Sunday's game. And the coming into town, it's going to be the New York Jets. And as we always do, we've got a special guest here to help us go over everything. Kyle Smith. Quarterback is a position of concern for the Jets. Lots of Jets fans, they love him. They really hype him up. AFC East Bros Podcast. Kyle Smith, ladies and gentlemen. How you doing tonight, brother? Doing good, brother. I'm creeping up on appearance number 10. Appearance number 10. You are one of our most most recurring guests on the show. You're the most celebrated guest. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think it's fitting that we're opening the season with you guys. So I got to ask, how does Jets Nation feel about week one up against going up against the Buffalo Bills? I mean, what's the overall yeah. consensus from the fan base as far as how this game's going to play out? Um, some are quietly cocky. Um, some are, I would say, I would say a good majority are rooting for the win. And then there's a good, there's a good portion also that are rooting for a loss. You know, there's a <laughs> big split in Jets Nation right now. I'm definitely in the tank. I've never gone into a season before. You know, it's one thing to mid-season to kind of change your tune. Oh, I hope we lose from here on out. First time ever, I've said, I hope we lose every game. I'm one of those people. Some guy gave me some flack today saying I wasn't a true fan because I'm hoping for the loss. Anyway, um, some Jets fans are a little cocky because they think, oh, the Bills suck, their offensive line sucks, new coach. Um, they just traded away Sammy Watkins. We beat him twice last year. So, you know, even though there's really no Jets fans out there that are saying we have a shot at making the playoffs except for a couple crazies, but there's a couple saying, hey, listen, we could still win five games this year, and I think this is one of those weeks that we can get this win. I definitely don't fall into that camp, though. Uh, well, you know what? We were supposed to have Kyle Trimble in here tonight, but we had to bump him because of a lot of topics to cover. But he did send me a text, and he said, ask Kyle Smith this. Up here in Buffalo, since we last spoke to you, we got the trades that have happened. And we've kind of embraced this tanking mentality by most of the fan base. And we go by the term, trust the process. Kyle Trimble wanted to know, do you have anything similar as when it comes to tanking, the way we have trust the process? What's the phrase Jets Nation would okay. use? A hashtag or a phrase, trust the process? No, there's no kind of hashtag quote going around out in Jets fan base. Uh, there's a lot of people that are up in arms and saying, like, I don't know the direction of this team. Why are we signing guys? If we're really tanking, why are we signing Jeremy Curley? You know, <laughs> what the hell? I thought we were going to let the young guys develop. 
um, there's no consensus or there's no trust the process. I mean, people are split on McCagnan as a GM. Uh, people are really split. Most hate Bulls. There's no trust out in Jets. I mean, listen, one thing about Bills, you know, Bills fans, I know you guys have the drought. You guys never won a Super Bowl, all that kind of stuff. You guys are a much more loyal fan base than the Jets fan base. There's no question about that. Kyle, I, I, so, all I'm going to say is that you're going to hear about it when you go back. I mean, I'm, I'm calm now, okay? I've, I've, <laughs> I've kind of calmed down. When you go back and re-listen to this show, you're going to get it. <laughs> you're going to get an earful. I, all I can say is that I can't ever embrace that kind of a mentality. I just can't. I, I just don't have it in me. And so I think it's inter- I, I mean, I think that that's interesting, and it's kind of a weird dynamic going into a football game, knowing that I'm on one side of the fence to the far left, and that normally where the entire Jets fan base is on the other far side of the you know side, end of the spectrum, we'll call it, rooting for a win, half of your fan base is somehow standing on my side of the line. I I, I can't wrap my head around that. It's just not a thing that I'm used to. So. What I want to do, when, now that, since I've got some time of the year tonight, I want to get into the nuts and bolts of what the Jets are and what, what Bills fans can expect to see come Sunday. Now, we're going to start on the offensive side of the ball here. Given that Josh McCown is the starter for the New York Jets and the injury-riddled state of your wide receiver depth chart, what should Bills fans expect from the Jets passing attack on Sunday? I mean, do they have the ability to threaten the deep portions of the field? With any kind of consistency, do they have the ability to threaten the deep portions of the field? The, yeah. an, the answer to that question, I would say yes to that because of Robbie Anderson. Listen, Robbie mm-hmm. Anderson, he smokes a lot of corners. He's been doing it since last preseason. He did it again this preseason. He did it all last season. I mean, he's not a full receiver. I mean, even Mike Mayock said it on the broadcast, like he's listed at 190 pounds. It would be a miracle if he weighs 190 pounds. He's probably closer to 175, 180. Um, he is definitely not a complete receiver. If you jam, if you give him a good jam and reroute him, you know he can have some trouble. But if he gets a good solid release off the line of scrimmage and he stacks your corner, goodbye. If the quarterback hits him in stride, the guy has got he's grease lightning fast. Well, and so I guess um, that's, that's, I guess, cor- go ahead. Well, I was to say I guess that's part two of the question though is so you've got Robbie Anderson who is this you know he's this speedy athlete on the outside of your offense. Have you seen so far through the preseason this year that any of the quarterbacks can find him consistently in that kind of a capacity? Well, I mean, it's preseason, and you're not going to take that many shots anyway, but preseason game number one, Josh McCown hit him deep for a 50-something-yard pass. So, you know, I think just in that one example, the coaches said, we see all we needed to see. We don't need to test him deep again with McCown because we've already seen that they can hook up in an actual game. I mean, the so, reason I ask is yes, because we, the we Bills, have seen it. I was going to say, the reason I ask is because the Bills' safeties, both of them, between Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, neither one of them is known as the fastest safety in the entire world. I mean, it seems like they've both kind of made their, they've kind of made their way through the NFL to this point in their careers by being around the perimeter of the box. You know, they make good plays inside. They can both play up in the line of scrimmage. They've got speed, don't get me wrong, but neither one of them is the most fluid athlete in the entire world. So... That's where, I, when I think about what could threaten the Buffalo Bills come Sunday, that's one of the things I think of is, hey, we're not the fastest safety team in the entire world. I want to know, do you guys have anyone who with any kind of regularity can threaten us there? Now, 
in the other areas of the field. And Drew, Drew, to that point, I mean, you you were saying it last week. You know, we run McDermott loves to run a lot of cover three, so that's a sing, one single high safety. Mm-hmm. He's got to have that ability to get to the other side of the field. And not to mention, you know, if you're playing cover three, you know, you, your corners are responsible for a deep third of the field. Mm-hmm. And Tredavious White, he's not exactly a burner, four four seven. Uh, and he's still a rookie. And then EJ Gaines, I mean, I don't think he's known for his speed or he's not even a good corner to begin with anyway. Well, I think so, one of the things you're going to see, though, and the re- one of the reasons I'm not as afraid of that as I normally would be is because we're going back to a zone-based defense. And what that does is you're not going to see somebody matched up man-to-man very often on Robbie Anderson on the outside. Okay, So, this, uh, yes, he probably does have the ability to burn one cornerback if he doesn't get a good jam or if he can get off the line. But when you're talking about guys playing a zone, the way I like to explain it is that the zone passing defense scheme, especially a cover three with that robber, the, you know, the extra D back that kind of drops down into the middle of the field to kind of take away the seams and threaten, you know, kind of, kind of confuse the quarterback. It gives another body back there that makes the quarterback hesitate. A zone, a good zone defense, you know, you, know, you talk about a man-to-man defense, that's man versus man. Everybody has a responsibility, and if you blow it, you blow it, and that's it. That's a busted coverage because one guy didn't do his job. A good zone defense, and especially the cover three, it works more like what you'd see out of a Spartan phalanx. Every guy is fighting for the guy next to him, and every, as long as everyone does their job in conjunction, you guys, you know what I mean, it forms this kind of almost a barrier that's harder to pass against. Simply because every man doing his job and being where he needs to be, it makes it harder because you're clogging up all of those passing lanes. The quarterback has to stop and take time and think about, okay, do I have an open man? He looks open, but if he's crossing into another zone and there's a guy waiting there, especially with that robber in the cover three, it's it, it's what causes the hesitation that this sort of defense can compile a lot of sacks and a lot of pressure because of that kind of confusion that you see with the zone defense. So to that point, since it's a zone-based scheme, and I'm assuming you guys don't, you guys may take deep shots, but I wouldn't call what you have as a vertical passing offense. So I guess I got to ask, what have you guys, what have you seen from the offense so far in the preseason? Do we have anything to worry about from you guys in the short and intermediate passing game? I don't really think so because, you know, what are our weapons in the passing game? Who's going to work the short and intermediate type of routes? You know, Jets fans, they're really excited for Austin Safarian Jenkins, you know, Everybody said, oh, he lost 30 pounds. He worked with some woman trainer out in Las Vegas. And, you know, he's going to, he's turned his life around. And that, you know, that's a little early to say something like that. And maybe that's true. But the fact is, is he's not playing this game because he's suspended. Yep. Um, so, you know, we were so bad at tight end last year. You know, maybe we can get someone to, you know, improve that position this year and work those intermediate routes. He's not going to be there. Um, you know, I mean, it's a lot to ask for a guy like our Darius Stewart, your boy. I mean, he's a rookie. Uh, Chad Hansen, he's a rookie. He's still really raw. Uh, is Jordan Leggett as a rookie tight end? Is he going to work those intermediate routes? Can we rely on him going up the seam to be really effective? I mean, I, I, I can't really see us really exploiting the middle of the field that well. I mean, and yes, we do run a, a shorter, qu- we don't have a, a vertical passing game per se. It's more of a West Coast based offense short timing routes, mm-hmm. but the fact is, is I don't see us having a, a lot of really short, quick, shifty receivers that can create separation at this point. So I don't think it's something that the Bills 
fan base really needs to be worried about. <laughs> that makes me feel better. Now, going up against, I mean, I guess I want to talk about the line here for a minute because we have a talented and experienced defensive line. I mean, Shaq Lawson is essentially, he's not quite a rookie, but he's a hes a rookie playing a new system, a second-year guy playing in a new system. So I, I still look at him as a rookie. But you've got a Marcel Darius, a Kyle Williams, and Adolphus Washington, and a Jerry Hughes backed up by a Ryan Davis, you know, who's no slouch either. Between those guys, going up against that kind of a defensive line, what are your expectations for the Jets' new offensive line this week? I mean, I from everything I've read throughout the course of the preseason, kind of like what I've been, you know, the drum I've been banging over here for the Bills, is that the offensive line with this, you know, with a new system, new players, it just doesn't seem to as just doesn't seem to have gelled the way that I would have liked. I mean, how do you feel about the Jets' offensive line coming into all this? I I think I feel the same way about our offensive line as you guys do about yours. You know, you guys, you love your guard play at this point in time. You love your center, Eric Wood. Oh, I don't love our center, but we, we love our guard play. We'll take that. It's one of the best positions for the Jets. Center is acceptable. You can work with it. But our tackle play has been bad this preseason, and it was bad last year. And your guys' tackle play has been bad this preseason. Mm-hmm. So, really, I'm... I'm concerned because you guys have those guys that can come off the edge. And I think Shaq Lawson can rush from off the edge. I know Jerry Hughes can do that. I know that if you put uh, Lorenzo Alexander out there, he can do that too as well. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, not a, he's not Jerry Hughes in that regard. So I'm concerned. Calvin Beecham, the dude is 6'2". And I posed this question to our boys over at the Jet Take, Kyle Fahey and Ben Blessington, because mm-hmm. they had um, Calvin Beecham on their show, and all of a sudden they're big Beecham supporters. Name me one <laughs> offensive tackle ever in NFL history who was 6'2", who was successful. Not to mention a guy who's coming off of ACL surgeries. He's got really short arms anyway. Um, I, I, I'm really concerned for our, our left tackle. Brandon Shell. I mean, the question is who's going to play at right tackle. I think it's going to be Ayanalana, but, you know, he's nothing special either. So, no, you, so, so wait, about, so, you, so, so at right tackle for you guys, you're looking at – a rookie that you traded up to draft in the fifth round last year in Brandon Shell, and you've got Ben Agilano, who's a journeyman. I mean, he's played for a number of teams at this point in his career. So mm-hmm. you're, there, there is no set, you know, if I could say it, you really don't, what it almost looks like is a rotation that's been settled, but not in the way that you had hoped. You know, so it sounds an awful lot like our situation where someone who had to win the contest by default out of training camp and it got handed to somebody and you don't sound confident in that, which makes me feel better again because Shaq Lawson is going to be going up against that right tackle spot. I'd like to know that the guy he's going up against doesn't exactly instill a lot of confidence in his own fan base. Now on the, well, here's the thing. I mean, about Brandon shell, like, you know, pro football focus hyped him up to the nth degree at the end of last season over his last four games, Brandon shell only allowed or didn't allow a single pressure. And, you know, we faced you guys. You know, he went against Jerry Hughes every now and then. We faced Cam Wake in those last four games. We faced the Patriots in those last four games. And he did have a couple of nice plays here or there. But to me, I mean, there was nothing super impressive about it. And Jets fans were, like, really hyped. Like, saying, listen, we hope this guy can take the next step. As a rookie offensive lineman, he'll take that every day. But he has not progressed at all, and he's been bad this preseason. Jason Pierre-Paul, you know, toyed with him like he was a rag doll in preseason game three. 
Now, I've seen that out of our right tackle. I mean, last year, Cam Newton, uh, Cam Newton, Cam Wake from the Dolphins literally pulled down Mills' pants and spanked him in front of 80,000 people during the Bills game. It was embarrassing. So, no, I, I mean, that, that makes me feel a little bit better about our chances come this weekend because from the sounds of it, everything that I've suspected to be true, kind of you feel the same way. Now, on the flip side of the ball, this is something that the Jets haven't had to worry about in years is their defense. Now, early on in the offseason, your group lost David Harris, who was the most experienced member of your linebacking core, to the New England Patriots, which kind of by default left Deron uh, Lee and Demario Davis as your starting interior linebackers, backed up by some guy named Julian Stanford and a career journeyman in Bruce Carter. Now, can I? would it be a stretch for me to say that this position, interior linebacker, might be the biggest weakness on your defense right now? Well, Drew, I think the last time I was on a couple weeks ago, I think I said exactly that. Yep. And I said that it was a cause for concern. And honestly, like, you know, when I was driving before and I was thinking, like, what am I going to say to the Rock Power Report when they asked me, like, specifics of the game? And to me, honestly, I'm concerned. I think that this is something that's going to particularly be bad for us in this game because Darren Lee, he's not that type of processor. He's, he, he has to just run off instincts. He just has to do and use his athleticism. When you get him out there thinking, he's not a thinker. He does the wrong thing. And, and oftentimes, he ends up in the wrong gap. He chooses the wrong gap. And that, you know, when you have a running back like Shady McCoy, who's got, I would say, pretty good vision, and he can hit the cutback like no other, if he sees that open, unoccupied gap where Darren Lee is supposed to be, but he shoots the wrong gap, you're talking that can turn into a 20, 30-yard run, possibly a long touchdown run. That's a game changer right there. No, absolutely. To me, that's a concern. I, I, I we mean, need gap integrity in this game, and I'm not sure that we're going to be able to do it because of our linebackers. I mean, I honestly believe when I, look at your, when I look at your linebackers, I see that you have a guy who has a glaring deficiency at every. Like, everyone has a glaring deficiency. For, De, for Demario Davis, it's covering the pass. For Darren Lee, it's holding up and run support. I mean, I could see... I can't picture Duran Lee trying to come downhill and fill a gap when Mike Tolbert's coming through it. I, I can't. Oh. I don't see that happening. You're talking about a guy who I've referred to multiple times as Keith Ellison 2.0. You're a small linebacker who's meant to stop the pass. You were not built to hold up and run support. I think in that way, this game could get very ugly very quickly if we can find a way past that ridiculous defensive line I mean, between Leonard Williams and Mo Wilkerson, you guys have, even without Sheldon Richardson, you guys have a stacked interior defensive line. And I think that that's, gonna, that's the one thing I'm most afraid of in playing your defense, is that if we can get to the middle of the D, I think we can do a lot of damage. It's going to be getting there. I mean, now, I guess the one thing I would ask you is that if you were a Jets fan who was thinking about trying to win this game, or you were a Jets coach, what would you do with the talent that you have schematically to try to cover up for the, you know, I guess I want to say the, what do you call it, the deficiencies of your interior linebacking core? Um, shoot, I mean, this is, this is a tough question. You've got you to gotta instill in them all week gap integrity, gap integrity. Uh, and maybe with Darren Lee, you put him in a type of role where he's not – two gap and where he's not responsible for two different gaps. Just give him one, one gap and let him shoot it because that's where he's at his best. You know, he can use his speed and just shoot the hole. If you're, if, but if you're asking him, okay, you know, 
uh, observe what's happening with the play, and you know your your defensive lineman is going to lock out, and basically you're going to choose whichever gap the running back chooses. I mean, I don't like putting Darren Lee in a situation where he has to choose. So m- m- give him one gap responsibilities. Let him use his athleticism and shoot that type of gap. I think that could help. Same thing with Demario Davis because one thing about Demario Davis is you said he's bad in pass coverage, and that is true. He's not great in run support either, but he's a pretty good blitzer too. So you can mm-hmm. send him on blitzes in one specific gap. Don't make him choose where he has to be either. So <clears throat> I would say that's one thing that you can do to kind of hide their deficiencies. What about your safeties? One I mean, thing I, about I, David Harris is David Harris is a smart guy, and we don't have him anymore. You could trust him to choose the right gap if he's responsible for two different gaps. You cannot say that for either of these two linebackers. Well, this is what I see. I see a team. I mean, you guys are a lot like the Bills in the sense that you guys have seen something of an overhaul to your secondary going into this offseason. You guys got new cornerbacks. You went into the 2017 draft and used your first and second round picks to draft safeties. I mean, you landed an all-star with Jamal Adams. That kid, I'm, I'm telling you, three years from now, Bills fans are going to be hating the fact that you took him. They're just hating the fact that he's patrolling the back end of your defense. And then you picked up Marcus May. Now, I haven't heard as, as many accolades for Marcus May in the second round out of Florida as I have about Adams, but I guess what I'm thinking is if I were a coach and I had to try to stop what the Bills are going to try to do, and I knew my linebackers had these deficiencies, are they going to one? Are they, are they going to do I run a lot of safety in the box? Like, do you expect to see a lot of that on Sunday from the Jets? Absolutely, because you know, although Ty, I like Tyrod Taylor more than you guys do, and probably more than the average NFL fan does, but I don't know that NFL coaches respect him all that much. And but one thing you got to respect is the Bills' running game. I mean, just look what they did over the past couple of years. Shady McCoy is healthy back there. And what did Sean McDermott say recently? We'll run him as many times as necessary to win. You know, he's healthy at this point in the season. They're going to run Shady McCoy like crazy in this game. You're, you want to, of course, you're going to bring up that extra safety for extra run support. So you can expect a lot of that this week. Even Jamal Adams, like in the preseason. And this is like, this is something we saw a lot of him in college. He was very versatile. He could play slot corner. He could play single high safety. Oftentimes they put him up as a, as a linebacker inside the box as like an inside mm-hmm. linebacker. And we saw a lot of that with Adams in the preseason. Balls moved him all over the place. So I wouldn't be shocked to see either one of those safeties, particularly Adams, right at the line of scrimmage. Okay, so then as far as now, so now you're talking about committing safeties to run support. So I guess the last question I have for you comes down to pass defense. When you're talking about, I mean, I'm looking at your roster, and I see Morris Claiborne and Buster Screen are the only names at cornerback that I recognize, or at least that I would call household names at this point. Now, you consider, A, I don't even know if Claiborne's 100%. B, the number of multiple wide receiver and tight end sets that the Bills are going to employ just to try to keep Mo Wilkerson and Leonard Williams from, you know, they're going to try to keep you guys from getting too much blitz support from behind them. I... I guess, is there any concern from you, since you're talking about committing extra resources to the box to stop the run, that any one of these guys might have a problem holding up in pass protection? I mean, is there a specific personnel grouping? Is it the nickel? Is it your base defense? Or is it one specific player that you see as kind of a weak link to the secondary? 
how Buster Screen is absolutely the weak link to the secondary. I mean, Mo Claiborne, you know, you're always concerned. Like, we're, we're as Jets fans, like me and my buddy Joe Blue, we're really not expecting him to play more than 10 games this year. Just look at his track record. But he's probably going to play this week, and he's, he's not super banged up at this point. But when he's out there, he's pretty good. Um, Justin Burris hasn't had a great preseason, but he showed flashes uh, last season. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not super confident in him, but I'm more confident that in him and his role than I am for Buster Screaming. What a bust of a signing that was. I hated that from day one. Gary tried to tell me, oh, it's not that bad of a signing. He's okay, especially if he's playing a nickel role. No, he's a terrible slot corner. He's just, I mean, everybody beats him. I mean, just there's, I, I, I don't know how many gifts I put out last year of Buster <laughs> Screen just getting torched at his supposed good position. He's getting paid almost $7 million a year to get torched as a slot corner. And Sterling Shepard had his way with him in the preseason. I mean, Buster Screen, he's, you know, I remember Mary Kay Cabot, who is a Buff, uh, Cleveland a beat reporter, saying he's super fast. Really, he's not. I mean, he's like a four or five type of guy, and he's small, and he's a penalty machine. He has very little ball skills, doesn't know how to locate the ball. He's just a really bad corner. Now, the thing is, is, you know, I don't know that you guys have a good receiver to put in the slot to exploit him, but if you did, if you had a Julian Edelman type of character, you guys could have a field day with him. Well, I was now, about to, well, I was going to say, I, I, I was about to say, it's a good thing that after talking and after reading all the, you know, notes and things that different coaches have said and kind of the consensus around the, uh, the team is that, Jordan Matthews is going to be our slot receiver. They're going to push That's Zay Jones thinking. out to the boundary, and they're going to put they're going to put Jordan Matthews in that slot position where he has seen most of his production over the last few years. If what you're saying about Buster Screen is true, again, this is something that should give Bills fans some confidence rolling into this game. Now, and, I got to honestly, and if Matthews plays, and if Matthews plays, he can exploit Buster Screen because what, what is Matthews like six three? Screen is maybe 5'10". I mean, you could throw balls up all day against him. It'll kind of be like, remember when you guys had David Nelson and he was going against Kyle Wilson? <laughs> oh, that was the best. Kyle Wilson that one game. I mean, it was 6'5 against 5'10", and Wilson doesn't have really good ball skills. He's terrible at locating the football. It's just you pitch got, and Fitzpatrick catch. Fitzpatrick was just throwing balls up to Nelson, and yeah. he was just snagging him out of the air. No, and you know what? Again, there's another thing that I, you know, looking at this, when I, when I break down the game and I break down your team and your team's deficiencies and everything else and how I would attack it if I'm an offensive coordinator, that's what I want to know. So it sounds to me like that matchup could be one to watch for Bills fans going into this Sunday is our slot, our slot receiver, who will hopefully be Jordan Matthews, against Buster Screen. Now, before we get out of here, we the obligatory, you know, you said you're rooting against the team this year. So I got to ask, what do you th- what is your prediction for the final score of the game? Do you think that this uh Bill, the Bills minus 9 is the 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 line in Vegas right now? Do you think that holds? I think it's too big and I think it'll <laughs> probably it'll probably come down a couple points. I mean, that's that's really big. And I know the Jets are bad. I've considered on, betting the like, Jets. I've considered betting the Jets plus nine, but then I know that that'll be the one game that the Bills just put on an absolute show. Just to just to, <laughs> I, I would have put three. Like I was expecting when I uh, I was listening to Cowherd yesterday, Hunter lunch, and they had that in the segment, and it was like eight yesterday. I was like, no way. 
It should be three. You get the home field advantage, and and, and that's it. Because, Kyle, I don't know if you agree with me on this or not, but this is the worst game on the docket for Sunday. I think so. I, I mean, I have to look at every single game, but it's hard to imagine another one being worse than this. It really <laughs> is. So what's your prediction on the final score, man? I think you guys will win about, I think you'll win by maybe five points. You know, I think you guys are going to pull away at the end because you're just a better team. You're just a more talented team. We're just really, really not that talented. And you guys are home field. I mean, the Ralph, oh, it's not, oh, excuse me, New Era Field. New Era, it'll Definitely always be the Ralph. For, it'll always for be the Ralph For opening week for the Buffalo Bills, it's going to be rocking. You guys have a new coach in town. A lot of people are going to come out to support him and see what he's all about. No Jets fans are Jets fans are terrible travelers anyway. Um, not to mention this lost season, <laughs> there's going to be no Jets fans there. Uh, I think you got. I think it'll be close throughout, and you guys will pull away and you win about five, maybe. I don't. know, Let's see. Uh, maybe like twenty-five to twenty, something weird like that. Okay, twenty-five twenty, guys. You heard it from Kyle Smith. You can follow him on Twitter at AFC East Bros. He puts out, he's got a lot of great Jets related content, and I know that a lot of fans out there for the Bills don't want to be bothered with other teams, but you got to be knowledgeable about your opponents, man. You have to. Especially so in the division. Give him a follow. Kyle, thanks so much for coming on with us tonight. I really appreciate it. Thanks, gentlemen. Enjoyed it as always. Much appreciated, Kyle Smith, our most celebrated guest, for coming on for, I don't know, maybe two hands, ten times. I don't know. <laughs> Guys, now, now contrary to what he had to say, every week throughout the regular season, we like to look at our opponents and we pick out one guy, and I refer to him as the player you may not know but should. And this week's guy is Chad Hansen. Hello, I've never heard of you before. At six two, 205 pounds, Chad Hansen was a mid-round pick of the New York Jets in 2017. Throughout the preseason, he's played like a poor man's Eric Decker. I mean, he's not the fastest wide receiver in the world. But when you watch him play, you can tell he's willing to finish his blocks. And he's shown some electric hands. I mean, he's made some great catches. He's not afraid to go into traffic. And he's a bigger guy, so he'll take hits if that's what it takes. Now, given his size and the fact that our linebackers and slot cornerbacks, you know, our safeties, these guys have never played together for a football game. He may be a player that's looked to early and often by Josh McCown is something of a safety blanket. I mean, you heard Kyle say it. There's really no one to work those inside routes. Well, I'll tell you, this guy's bigger than the other rookie, Ardarius Stewart. He's got proven hands. I wouldn't be shocked to see them try to feed the ball to Chad Hansen in the middle of our defense in order to try to just use his height advantage over our defensive backs. Now, the guy's route tree isn't going to it's not overly advanced because he came from a spread offense that didn't really ask him to do a whole lot. And he's not the best natural route runner, but he's a guy that Leslie Frazier shouldn't be caught sleeping on and neither should Bill's fans. And that brings us as it always does to, to our keys to victory. First and foremost for the Buffalo bills to pull out a win this week. Don't do, what do you think? Don't do too much. It's just the jets. (laughs) Number, Don't overwork yourself. No, number one, for me, establish an attack on the middle of the defense. Now, you heard Kyle and I talking about it earlier. It should seem like a no-brainer. The Buffalo Bills have LaShawn McCoy. He's a dynamic running back. But I've watched us lose football games in which he made a lot of progress to the outsides of defenses. 
He, I mean, maybe sometimes because teams are willing to give him some territory on the outside. They know that's how he likes to run in order to protect the middle of the field. Well, for the Jets, considering how poor they are in the middle, this is what I think. Even though it's a tall task when you consider the fact that they've got Leonard Williams and Mo Wilkerson on the defensive line, that, that duo is imposing for any NFL center and guard combination. But the linebackers behind them, they're suspect. I want to see us focus our attack there. If we can get them on their heels and force their defensive coordinator to commit men to the middle of the field, whether that means it's utilizing Charles Clay early in the passing attack, whether it's setting up in multiple wide receiver sets to get some of those linebackers off the field, whatever it takes, if we can open up room in the middle and then hurt them there, get them to commit to that early on in the game, Shady has almost the entire boundaries to run for the second half of the game. I think that's going to be a big key to really, really locking this game down and running away with it. The second one is going to be pressure from the defensive line, which once again seems like a pretty generic statement. I think that with the switch back to the 4-3 defense, our defensive line, they're all playing in a more natural fit for their skill sets. Now, this is a game I'd like to see him go out up against an offensive line that isn't You know, it's not top-notch. I'd call them middle-of-the-pack, mediocre. Go out there and start the season on the right foot by controlling the line of scrimmage. You know, Josh McCown is 6-23 and as a starter in his career. And we as a team are going to be a lot closer to making it 6-24 and if our defensive line, which I'm looking specifically at Shaq Lawson, can generate pressure on their own, which will allow Leslie Frazier to cook up different coverage schemes behind them, and not have to commit so much to the blitz. You know, you got to figure every blitzer that we have to pull down onto the line of scrimmage to try to generate pressure, that's taking away another pass defender. And you're talking about a group of guys who haven't had a lot of playing time together to fully gel the way you would want your secondary to gel. So I think a lot is riding right now on the defensive line to take some of the pressure off of our secondary. And Chris, is that a fair statement to make? Sounds like it. I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> we just thought, when I thought you were turning yeah, the corner. You thought I turned the corner last week when I explained the 3-4 and the 4-3 to three to perfection. <laughs> I don't know what you just said. You still got some room to it grow It sounded there. like you know what you're talking about. And then my final key to the game is the punting game. I That's know. how you know that this is going to be the billsiest of Bills games. Where is Roscoe Parrish to fumble a punt? Say what you want about the Jets on offense. I think their D is weak up the middle, and I do believe that their talented safety tandem and their proven defensive line combined with the blitz packages that we all know that the Jets are known for. I just think that their offense may suck, but that defense can probably give us a... They're going to give us some fits here and there. So... Unless our offensive line has really kind of pulled up their big boy pants and decided that they want to play like NFL offensive linemen or anything like what they looked like last season, I think that field position is going to become important in this game. Given that, I think that we could see a number of stalled drives, and I want to see Reed Ferguson and Colt Anderson bring their A game on Sunday. Okay, I want to ensure that every time the Jets offense trots out there on the field to go, you know, to try not to go three and out. Like, I mean, you're talking about a team that Christian Hackenberg, Christian Hackenberg was their starter for a game. He had 13 drives. Two of them scored. 
The rest of them went three and out. Josh McCown has had a, has similar stretches throughout the preseason. This is not an explosive offense. So what I want to see is that we have the ability that when our own offense stalls, when that defensive line makes a play or two, when one of their talented safeties comes up and makes a play, swats some balls down, whatever the case may be, that we can flip the field and give them a long field and show them a lot of hungry defenders who aren't afraid to get beat over the top because they have the entire field to make it up. I think a few quarters of that early on in the game should be enough to give us the breathing room we need to run away with this thing. Drew, we've been doing this for two two years. This is our third year doing a Bills season. This might be the only time in the history of football podcasts where you say, our long snapper needs to bring his A game. Has to. Has to. It's his first professional game. I'm not going to undersell this. Reed Ferguson is a friend of the show. He's, you know, I, I like the guy. What I will say is this is your first time in the big dance. All right? Now, that's great. You, you went to LSU. You played for a lot. You played a lot in a lot of big games. You know? How many times does LSU get put on national television? All the time. All the time. All we're asking Reed to do is don't assume Colt, Colton Schmidt is Shaquille O'Neal and sail it over his head. <laughs> All I'm asking don't him to tear, do is do the things that got him here. And don't tear your ACL. <laughs> do the things that got you here. Colt Anderson, bring your foot. I know you've got one. Last season you struggled. Show that you two can get off on the right foot this season. I think it's going to do wonders for our special teams unit as a whole. And I think, like I said, it's going to be an, almost the intimidation factor to the opposing offense. It's going to keep them on their heels. They're going to constantly be worried about a pass rush when they're buried deep in their own territory. It's just, it's going to be good for the psyche of the entire team. So I'm looking at the punting game. Now, Chris, what's your prediction for Sunday's game? Simple. Bills are favored by nine, so we're not going to cover. Uh, I still think we'll win 16 to 13. 16 to 13? You're calling a low-scoring game. Yeah, we have no offense. <laughs> that, that you know of. Here's what I'm willing to say. I think we have more playmaking potential on this offense than a lot of people are going to give them credit for. Whether Tyrod's the guy to do it or not, I, I don't know that. I know that we have the better running backs. We have the better wide receivers. We have a better offensive line. Yes, their defense is good, but they're not as good as our defense. I foresee a game that, like Kyle said, it's going to be close and then it'll get away later and that it should be a five-point game. I'm willing to call it a seven-point game. I'm willing to say that we hold them to 17 points. There's going to be some breakdowns in communication. There will be. It's a first-time secondary. I expect to see a score of, let's call it 17-24 is going to be my final score. 17-24. So Buffalo wins 24-17. That's it. You must be new at this, considering you went low (laughs) score first, high score second. Speaking of new at this, who can we look forward to hearing the Bills game called by this Sunday? All right, this is how we do it in the pros. If you're not in Buffalo going to the game, the entire Northeast gets it from New York State all the way on up to Maine. Wow. Yep. That's a big territory. Yep. So <laughs> if, you live, if you live in New England and you just saw your team play Thursday night, <laughs> you're you- subject to Bills and Jets. And then Greenville, North Carolina, and then uh, across the state of Florida from Fort Myers to West Palm Beach, get to listen to Kevin Harlan and Rich Gannon. Now, I believe it was Kevin Harlan that made noise last season by calling streakers. 
So I'm looking for you to get naked on Sunday Absolutely. and run across the field. Absolutely not. Have you seen this body? I am not built for streaking. Exactly. You got <laughs> movies. Guys, thank you so much for coming out tonight. First and foremost, I want to say we've – now, I talked about earlier in the season, Grandstand Sports Network. You know, We kind of – us, the CoverOne.net, a lot of other podcasters and writers, we all kind of came together and formed this online radio network and blogging community that it's taking off. And we've got, you know, we talked about having, you know, multiple sponsors and, and even just affiliations with different technologies. And one of them is here. Okay. I'm talking about crossover. Crossover is, it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. For, for anyone out there who works in the coaching community or anyone out there who just loves the game of football. I mean, this, I've seen this thing with my own two eyes and dissected film with it. It's incredible. It's... <laughs> It, it's essentially what you would get from the Bills All-22 coverage footage. You know what I mean? When you watch it online, you get the All-22. You can see the different angles. Except they take it a couple steps farther with analytics tools. You can They'll take your tape and break it down so that you can filter it yourself by down and distance. If you want to see how you or your opponent did on third down with a certain yardage, they'll, you can sort it that way. It's incredible, and it's going to help us as the Rockpile Report do a ton of in-depth research for our listeners coming into this season. I'm going to strongly suggest that anybody out there who's into coaching, anybody who's out there who's into scouting or film review. What about yelling at children? Maybe you're into that, too. I mean, there's an Aaron Cromer out there and everybody. <laughs> Go check this out. It's www.crossover.com. That's crossover with a K. K-R-O-S-S-O-V-E-R.com slash grandstand to receive one free game. So any of you out there who coach football or know someone who does, give give them the plug. www.crossover.com slash grandstand. That gets you one free upload of any bit of, tr- of game film. They will break it down and send it back to you with all of the analytics and all the data that you could ever want. This stuff is incredible. As always, you can find us at the Rockpile Report on Twitter and the Rockpile Report on Instagram. And I want to announce the the return of Saturday nights with Chris and I on Facebook Live and Periscope. Are we Chris, sure? Are we sure that's happening? Where is my new uh, cell phone? Chris, I've head? got you. I've got you. You better have it. <laughs> I've got you. Based on that Moosehead video we did, what, a week ago? The poor home <laughs> video quality. Hey, I kind of like that. It gave it a VHS quality. Like all of the good Bills games that I've seen for a long, long time. They're all VHS quality. Yeah, all of our good games are on VHS. Folks, we got to go. Thank you so much for coming out, and best of luck to all of you out there tailgating for the first week. I know I'll be out there. No arrests. <laughs> I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger, and this has been the Rock Pile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.